0: Good morning, Grace Life. My name is Caleb, and as is obvious, I am not present there with you in person. I am at home. In fact, I'm in my bedroom right now recording this at my desk. And uh, yeah, so COVID has finally come to the Berg home. Uh, Schnell tested positive yesterday. At the time I'm recording, it's Saturday, Saturday morning. And uh, Schnell tested positive yesterday afternoon and uh, mild symptoms, uh, she's doing good. She's she's okay. Um, I tested negative yesterday, but already am beginning to feel um, the, the the tickle in my throat. And um, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if I if I hold out kind of hard in a small apartment. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but thank you for praying for us. I'm thanking you in advance. Uh, just keep us in your prayers, um, and and we'll do fine. I know the Lord is with us, and uh, we're just going to enjoy our time. Uh, In quarantine here for the next few days. But uh, today we're picking up with Psalm 18. Randy spoke last week. He preached from Psalm 17. I'm just grateful for what he shared with us last week. I wasn't able to actually listen to it live and in person because I was uh, ministering to the kiddos in the Grace Life Kids class there, and uh, I I really enjoyed it. I don't know how much they enjoyed of me, uh, but uh, I'm a little scared to ask them that, So, uh, but I really enjoyed it, and I, I think it might have been the most nervous I've ever been uh, preparing to preach to anybody, uh, but I did have a really good time with the kids, and uh, again, I'm just grateful for Randy and what he shared uh, from Psalm 17. I watched it back later and uh, was really blessed by it, so thank you, Randy. Uh, today we're picking up in Psalm 18, and this is a really, really lengthy psalm, 50 verses, and the, me- the title for this message is The Lord is My Rock and My Fortress. So David is the author of this psalm. It says so in the introduction, and it's written about his past victories over enemies and Saul. The- this psalm can also be found in 2 Samuel 22, and I just kind of want to quickly highlight the-, the context of that chapter. Second Samuel 22 is at a point near the end of David's life. It follows an account of some of David's greatest victories over enemies and uh, even recounts some of the issues he had uh, as Saul chased him around. Uh, so this is like David recounting, uh, looking back over all that God has done in David's life, the rescue from Saul, the rescue from all his enemies. He's an old man at this point, and he's just thinking back of all that do- that God has done in his life. So his heart is... Uh, just kind of soaring. He's overflowing with joy as he thinks of God's providential hand in all the circumstances of his life. Now, as we unpack this psalm, uh, you'll see as we read it, we're going to get to a place where David speaks of his own righteousness and he kind of appeals to it as the reason for God's deliverance. And this may seem odd on the surface because as you've seen, as we've Uh, preach through these psalms, we've taken great lengths to explain how it's not our righteousness that matters for anything because as Psalm 14 and Psalm 15 state, there's no one who is good. There's no one who's righteous. So it kind of seems odd when David says that he's appealing to his own righteousness. And um, I just want to point out, and I want you to consider this. We're going to kind of put a pin in this for the moment, but as we read it, I do want you to consider uh, when you look at the context of second samuel twenty two that as David sings this psalm uh, recounting all of god's power and deliverance and even david 's uh, blamelessness, it's sandwiched in between not just tales of great victories but two of david's greatest failures as well and so I think that's important to remember David was a sinner, and David knew he was a sinner he's not he's not saying that he's blameless. Um, as though he's never sinned. David knows his sin. But he had experienced the grace of God. Only God can save us. Only God can be all that David describes in this psalm, a refuge, strength, a fortress, and more. Only God is steadfast in love uh, and faithful to his covenant. The promises of this psalm are again, as we've shown week after week, leading us to Christ. To deliver on these promises more than a king of David's stature was necessary. That king was the greater son of David, the greater king, King Jesus, God the Son. And so we're going to read Psalm 18 here. Uh, And like I said, it's, it's lengthy. And because we're doing a video instead of uh, being live and in person, uh, the tech team is not going to be able to display the scriptures on the screen. So I encourage you, if you did not bring a Bible, to grab one in the back um, or grab your phone, pull up a Bible app, and follow along as I read passages uh, throughout this message here Uh, They won't be displayed. So Psalm 18. To the choir master, a psalm of David the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shield entangled me. The snares of death confronted me in my distress. I call I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, Hailstones and coals of fire." And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and I've not wickedly departed from my God for all his rules were before me and his statutes. I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you, for you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through, so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock. Exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me rescued me from my enemies, yes. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you. O oh, Lord among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king. And shows steadfast love to his anointed. To David and his offspring forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and sure. Lord, I ask as we study this psalm that you would open our hearts to receive your word, that we would see wonderful truths in the scriptures, and that they would lead us to Christ, that our eyes would behold Christ. Lord, I I do ask for strength as I uh, attempt to preach here. Um, And I ask, Lord, that you would just bless my brothers and sisters who are gathered together today, that you would be with them, that you would pour your spirit into them, Lord. And just touch them today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to look at three things. God's power, God's righteous one, and God's victory. So we're going to start uh, by looking at God's power. And we see this in the first 19 verses of this psalm. Now, you don't have to shout anything out, but I do want to ask you a question here. What are you afraid of? I'm going to give you a second to think about that. And pardon me if I need to drink more water than usual. But what are you afraid of? Now, I I kind of taught from this same section of the Psalms uh, last week to the kiddos. Um, I I read from a book called Wonderful, and they've got a section in that book that covers Psalms 17 through 21. So we were in this section with the kids last week, and I asked them this question. And their answers were really, really interesting. All the things that they're afraid of. And parents, uh, maybe maybe we need to jump in and, and deal with in, in, uh, a situation that seems common. Uh, there's a lot of kids at Grace Life afraid of clou- clowns coming out of closets. I don't know why, but that seemed to be the most common answer. Clowns in closets was, was the thing that our kids are most afraid of. Um, I shared with them my greatest fear. And maybe that wasn't the best idea, because they teased me, and uh, probably will continue. But I'm going to share it with you guys as well, because I'm a glutton for punishment. I am terrified of heights, and that kind of seems to figure, right? Now, I didn't always have this fear. I can remember being a child and not being afraid of heights, but at some point in my teens or in my 20s, I started to be aware of such a thing, and uh, I don't know what it was. I don't know what caused it, because there was no traumatic event in my life that like made this happen. Um, I just recall kind of beginning to notice that I really hated heights. Now, I, I hate being on bridges. I hate being on mountains. Um, if I'm on a bridge, I'll close my eyes. Um, and that's great if I'm riding in a car as the passenger. But if I'm driving, not so much. Uh, I even get real panicky if we're standing on an overlook, you know, uh, like an overlook over like Niagara Falls or Letchworth State Park or something like that, and um, If Olive and Chanel get really close to the railing, I kind of panic a little bit. Now, I don't typically go too close to the railing. I keep a bit of a distance, um, you know, at least like three or four feet. Uh, I'm socially distanced from the railing uh, because it just, it it makes me a mess. And so, you know, my heart kind of starts to... uh, pick up the pace and I feel like my stomach's about to fall out and yeah so I just get real wobbly and I stay back but I really get panicky if Chanel and Olive are too close to the railing so yeah it just turns me into a mess now many of you know this about me I love Disney theme parks um in 2017 my family and I and some friends of ours went to Disneyland in California right before we moved up here um and they These friends of mine convinced me to ride the Tower of Terror, which is a ride there. Um, it's also at Walt Disney World in Florida. And it's an elevator ride, um, an elevator drop ride. So you, you go up like 13 flights, and it drops you. And it's random, so it'll go up and down and drop. And you never know how far you're going to drop. And it it's always scared me, even the thought of riding it. So, But they said they're not going to do this trip unless I agree to ride that ride. And so I did. I agreed to it because I'm insane. I don't know. Uh, but one of my stipulations was that I had to ride it with my six foot seven friend who I could cling to like a rock. And uh, I did just that. And here's the proof. So if you look at the front row there, you'll see my friend in purple, and I'm next to him. My eyes are closed, I think, and I'm clutching as tightly as I can to lanes arm there and Chanel's next to me smiling having a good time and i think there's a kiddo in the back row having the time of their life well i'm terrified goes to figure you know um, but uh, you know the reality is after i got done with it i was okay i did it i conquered it you know i even went and bought a pin in the gift shop just to prove that i conquered this ride and i was feeling pretty confident I was feeling pretty boastful. I did it. And in fact, I actually rode it a couple more times. That's how confident I was. And so I th- I thought, you know, I could I could ride any ride after that, you know. Roller coasters and the Mighty Ferris wheel. And that might seem like, oh, Ferris wheel, Kayle will be really scared of a Ferris wheel, but um I actually thought I would be just fine. And here's a picture of that Ferris wheel, the Mickey Ferris wheel there. And it's actually, it's hard to tell in this picture, but it's a really big Ferris wheel, really, really high up in the air. And I just figured, you know, I conquered Tower of Terror. So this Ferris wheel ought to be a cakewalk. I was wrong. We got going on the Ferris wheel as it's picking up more people. You go up each rung... You know, you're going up and around. And my body just shut down by about the third, you know, notch up. I I just shut down. I crumpled in on myself. Head went down, eyes shut, and I just kind of rode the entire ride like that. complete shutdown. It's like somebody hit the, the, the shutdown button on the computer. Now, I could hear everything that was going on which made it a little bit more terrible for me because I could hear my friend going, Oh, look, I think that's, I think that's the angel stadium over there way over in the distance. And I just, that made my stomach fall out even further. Um, but I could hear everything. I just couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I couldn't open my eyes. I just, I was done. My body wouldn't do anything else. My body just sort of went, Nope. You're not going to do this. Um, now, eventually, we did get off the ride, and my legs were a bit wobbly. But when, when I got on the ground, um, I, I think I had never loved solid ground so much as I did in that moment. i so glad to be done. Now, I know in my brain that the ride is safe, that the bridge is secure. That the railing is going to hold, I know all those things, but my fear makes me say otherwise. You know, feel otherwise, um, and that there's a, a bit of a rational thought that goes in there. It's it's not a rational fear, um, though. To me, it, it it is. It makes sense to me. I don't want to fall. Um, maybe my fear is not so much heights, but gravity. When David wrote this psalm, he was Thinking back to a time when he had tremendous fear. He was thinking about the times uh, when he was surrounded by his enemies. And great fear had gripped his heart. He describes it in great detail. He talks about the cords of death that entangled him. Um, how it, you know, it feels like essentially the ground around him was giving way. David's fear, I would say is a bit more rational than my fear. You know, there's very real enemies surrounding him, very real weapons that they're holding. And they're chasing him down. And as David thinks back over all these times, he recalls how God delivered him. And in these first few verses of Psalm 18, his heart just kind of bubbles up in praise. So he begins this whole section with praise uh, over how God has displayed Amazing power and deliverance. So let's just read those three verses here real quick. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, and my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. Embedded in his praise here, is the familiar and prominent theme of refuge that we've been covering now for some time. And and this theme of refuge and security that we see over and over again, what David is saying is that it can only be found in the Lord. David uses eight words here, and they all seem to relate to each other. We've seen them over and over in the Psalms so far. Rock, fortress, deliverer, rock again. Refuge, shield, horn of salvation, and stronghold. David is praising Yahweh as the source of refuge, protection, and deliverance. So the psalmist here, David, artfully orders these words in a kiosk structure. Now, I've talked about that before. Uh, It's a literary structure where the the important things mirror each other to just kind of emphasize their importance. We don't really write like this in English. Uh, but these words here are mirroring mirroring each other in order to emphasize the importance of God's provision and his power. So it just emphasizes the point. Now we've covered the idea of refuge a great deal in this series on Psalms 1 through 25. If you've been wondering, the theme of refuge is either directly stated or uh, implied in 12 of the 25 Psalms that we're looking at. So David is clearly bringing this up for a, a, a reason he's emphasizing this over and over because we are prone to forget these things we seek refuge in all sorts of other things so david he wrote most of these psalms in this first section of the psalms the first uh, book of the psalms he wrote the majority of them and he wants us to know that god's people will only find their safety in the lord We will not find safety in our own strength. We will not find safety in our own righteousness, nor in any other scheme of man. Excuse me. By returning to the images of rock, refuge, strength, and shield, he is showing that it is God's power and grace that has rescued David from all the enemies and troubles that he has faced. And let's look at how David describes this rescue, this deliverance, God's power in the next verses 4 through 19. And he starts with um, his distress. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked. Because he was angry. The smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So here we see that David was in distress. He felt bound and trapped by his enemies, drawn toward death. Beginning in verse 7, we see David describe God in really incredible imagery. God is coming in power to deliver David from all of his enemies. God's creation, even the foundations of the world, shake in his presence. Verses 7 through 15 remind me of some other places in scripture uh, where God's might is described in startling detail. Psalm 97, 1 through 5. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him, righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth." And in Job 38, we see God's response uh, to Job when when questioned. Here God speaks of all his creation in a way that just really emphasizes his might and sovereignty over all creation, over everything. We see his might. And I'm just going to read a portion of it, but I want to encourage you uh, maybe sometime... Uh, check out the rest of that chapter, Job 38. So we're going to look at verses 4 through 11. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors? Or when it burst out from the womb? when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed the God who created all things who set the earth in motion has come to deliver David the one who puts the limits on how far the darkness can go or laid the foundations of the earth comes and he rocks those very foundations. And he does this all to gently and with great care lift David out of the waters and place him securely on solid ground in a safe, open place. David is showing the reader that it is God we look to when there is trouble, not the created world, not the comforts that this world provides, but the one who created all things. Don't look to the things uh, that are in this world and of this world, no matter how good they are for comfort, look to the creator of all things. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is passing away. It doesn't provide lasting security or support. And I think by seeing how the created world responds to God's awesome presence, it even goes further to show how much we should be looking to him and not the things he created. The mountains melt like wax before him. If you look to the mountains as being uh, what will provide the most support and you flee to the mountains... Before God, the mountains melt like wax. And so therefore, all the enemies that surround us, all the troubles that bother us, they too melt like wax before the presence of the Lord. So find refuge in him. So it's in his power and might that he comes uh, to his people with great gentleness and care. So why does God do this? Why does God rescue David? verse 19 gives us a clue. David answers this way. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, can we claim that God delights in us because of us, because of our goodness, because of our wisdom, because of our uh, ability to obey and and do all those wonderful things? Are we deserving of such delight? No, we're not. God delights in us. God bestows blessings upon us because of his steadfast love and his grace. He loves you. What a wonder this is. The God of the universe who laid the foundations of the world loves you and has provided grace to you. He delights in you. And so this is what it is that stirred David's heart to write this psalm. God's delight and deliverance were not earned by David. They were blessed and bestowed upon David. They were gifts of grace. Now, as we read in the next verses, 20 through 29, consider God's righteous one. Uh, This is where we're going to see David pointing to his righteousness But he's not pointing to his righteousness as though to say this was something I created, I'm the source of. He knows that it's God who is the source of this righteousness. It's God who has given this righteousness to him. And so um, we're going to look here in the second point at God's righteous one in verses 20 through 29. Let's read that here. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God for all his rules were before me and his statutes. I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful with the blameless man. You show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure and with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous for you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God lightens my darkness for by you, I can run against a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. So we've spoken a great deal, especially these last few weeks, about the lack of David's righteousness, the lack of our own righteousness. In the introduction to this message I mentioned, when the writing of this psalm occurred in David's life, it followed great victories, but it was also sandwiched in between two great failures of David, sinful and shameful acts. David confessed his sin. He knew he wasn't blameless or sinlessly perfect. He knew his transgressions, but he also knew that the righteousness that he had was the righteousness that God had given him. David in these verses is not stating his case for his own perfection. Rather, he is citing his right standing based on God's grace and God's covenant faithfulness. And we have a clue to that in verse 32. It says, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. It's God who does the equipping. It's God who gives righteousness. Now, we don't like to talk like David talks here. Uh, it's, it kind of makes us uncomfortable. It feels boastful to say, my ways are blameless and my hands are clean and I'm righteous. However, I want to point out that this is what is truer of the believer. So just to clarify, I'm speaking about believers here. Those who have received Uh, salvation by faith and grace, those who have uh, believed the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm not speaking of the unbeliever here. The believer in their current state is plagued by the flesh. We still have sin with us. We still uh, fail. We, We commit acts of sin. That is our condition. That's what this earthly condition is like. We're in the flesh. But what is seen through eyes of faith is our position with God. He has saved us. He has seated us in heavenly places. He has declared us to be righteous. He has saved us. Paul says in Romans that we have been justified. Romans 5 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be justified is a is a declaration, it's a legal declaration, and it is to be declared righteous. So that is what is truer of you. You have been declared with a legal decree that you are righteous in God's eyes. God has said that those who have received the gift of salvation are now righteous. And then Paul says in verse 19 of that same chapter, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So it's not your obedience that counts towards your righteousness, but the obedience of Christ. I'm not saying you don't need to obey God. But by God's by God's grace, you are now counted as obedient. And now you're enabled by the same grace that saved you to obey. But your righteousness is not dependent on your obedience. Rather, you've been given Christ's obedience, you've been given Christ's righteousness, and now you're able to obey. So now as a believer, you too can say what David says here. You are righteous, you are blameless, and you have clean hands. All in Christ. These verses are ultimately pointing us to the truer and better David. What we've been attempting to highlight throughout this series, um, throughout the series, Kiss the Son, is that the Psalms are all about Jesus. And he tells us as much in Luke 24. He tells us that the Psalms are all about him. Though David didn't know his name, the Holy Spirit breathed these words through David to continue to tell the story of redemption, pointing ultimately to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. It's telling his story. It's the story of God's righteous one. And this righteous one has graciously clothed David in robes of righteousness and to all who believe in him. The gracious care that we see from God in Psalm 18 in both his power and God's covenant faithfulness are fully revealed in Christ Jesus. And so David is celebrating God's faithfulness and the righteousness with which God has graciously given In the following verses that we're going to look at here, David celebrates not only God's power and God's righteousness, but also the victory that God gives. I love how as we transition into speaking about God's victory, we see verse 29 as kind of that transition from um, God's righteous one to God's victory. And I, I really love this verse. For by you, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. You know, if you're anything like me, you kind of want to see this in action. I want to see somebody leap over a wall. You want to see what this looks like, running against a troop, leaning, leaping over a wall. God has enabled David not only to obey, but he's enabled him also for battle here. He is counting his victories as God's victories. He recognizes that it is God who equipped him for battle. And so let's read this section here, verses 30 through 45. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? If The, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise and they fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them as fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Much like the verses we read describing God's power, these verses show that it is God who is sovereignly at work in all things. He's at work in all the victories that David experienced. Not just delivering him, but granting victory over all his enemies. However, um, as we read these verses, you know, it's it's easy to see these victories, and and not really be able to um, maybe feel what David feels, because I think for most of us, we might feel more like David in the time of his distress. We kind of feel like we're not quite on the other side of the victory like David is, and so maybe we're in a moment where we feel entangled. Um, by all the things that have bothered us that we've struggled with the things that distress us battles with temptation and sin distress over the broken world around us all leave us feeling crushed beneath the weight of it all we might describe ourselves more like how David described himself in verses 4 and 5 the cords of death wrapped around us assailed by the torrents of destruction life is filled with all sorts of struggles and circumstances that cause us to doubt. We're often tempted to look to ourselves for escape from the mess. We're tempted to shift our gaze from Christ and and look elsewhere for help, whether it's to our own wisdom or strength, or to a politician, or, or even a change of scenery. If I just get a different job, all my troubles will cease. If we just get a different president, all our troubles will cease. Whether it's more money or a new job or, or really any other thing, even good things can sometimes be a distraction and take our eyes off of Christ. These last couple years have been tremendously difficult, filled with all sorts of trouble. All sorts of struggles. Uh, but our struggles didn't begin just these last couple years. Um, they began with Adam in the garden and with sin. And struggle has plagued us ever since then. Because of sin and the brokenness of this world, the distress and difficulties we face our constant temptation to look inward to ourselves or outward to something other than Christ for our hope and help. You know, I spoke of my fear of heights, and that may seem kind of like a silly thing. And, you know, I, I did bring it up in a silly way. And, and you know, maybe it is. And I asked the kids last last Sunday, do you think that God is going to deliver me from my fear of heights? And I, I think the answer is likely no. And I don't think that's necessarily something I'm going to be uh, somehow empowered to not fear uh, walking on a bridge or driving over a bridge. Um, but I do know one thing. I'm sure of this, that God is with me. God is with me. It's okay, you know, if I have to deal with that. But, you know, there are other things that have troubled me throughout my life. Other struggles, other temptations, other difficulties. I've wondered often, God, would, will you deliver me from this? And maybe you're in a place like that right now, struggling with something that's bothered you for a long time. Sometimes uh, the struggles that we face, which are very real struggles and very real temptations, often remain. But I want to encourage you that God is not silent in that. He is not withholding himself from you. I'm sure of this, that God is with you and I. God speaks. God delivers. He is, he's not absent. And so all that we go through, all that we go through, yes, the troubles even, are used by him for our good. All that happens around us is not some kind of accident that has caught him off guard. And now he's just trying to figure out how do I fix this? He is with us and he is using this in our lives for our good. So he's working in your life through all the distress, all the temptation, all the circumstances, so that you would trust him more. Je- uh, Jesus tells us that this life will be filled with trouble, but despite all of that, we can have hope. John 16:33, "I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." David throughout this psalm is declaring that it is God who is our refuge and our strength, our fortress, our rock, our deliverer. He is the strength to bend the bow, to loose the arrows. He is our support. He sets our feet on a secure foundation, a wide place, so that our feet don't slip. This is what God does. He is all of that and so much more. You know, and and this... Passage, uh, as we've been reading through this part of it, it, it reminds me of Paul's writing in Ephesians six, Ephesians six ten through twenty. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So the armor of God, they're all synonyms for the gospel. We see that the enemy, the devil has his schemes, which means trickery. He's going to try to get you to believe his lies, to distract you, um, to, to look at the temporary things of this world and to be afraid. But the believer has been clothed with this armor of God. How do we fight against the schemes of the enemy, against the trickery of the devil? By believing the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel at its core is an announcement. It's a proclamation that Christ has won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. By faith in what Jesus has done the forgiveness of sins and eternal life has been won for the believer. There are some offensive and defensive parts of this. We have the scriptures, prayer, and the preaching of the gospel. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Surround yourself with these things. Preach the gospel to yourself and to others. Fuel yourself on the gospel and the scriptures. Gather together with the saints and... On Sundays and, and in grace groups and throughout the week, fellowship with one another, real community grounded in the gospel will bear fruit in your life. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 through 5, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every, th- every thought captive to obey Christ. So, this is countercultural to everything that we see around us. See, our enemies are not really flesh and blood, and our weapons are not of the flesh either. The strongholds are the lies the enemy wants you to believe to get your eyes off of Christ. So, we take these thoughts captive by believing the good news. And it's the good news. Uh, It's good news that victory has come, that God has already been victorious through Christ. And so we too can praise like David praised. God is our rock, our strength, and our fortress. He is our victory. Will you look to the circumstances around you? Or will you look to your unchanging God and believe that he is all these things and more? Now, I'm not saying that this will make your life a cakewalk, or make the circumstances even go away. But I am saying that he is with you in the midst of those circumstances. He is giving you power to enable you to stand despite the storm. And at the end of this psalm, the last few verses here, we see David returns to praise, and we'll read that here real quick. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted me the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. In Christ, God is the God of our salvation. Like David, we can praise God for His salvation. We can praise God for His mercy, His kindness, His grace, all of which have been poured out in Christ. God, in His providence, His good designs for us has extended this salvation to the nations, to us right here, right now. And so we see uh, in in this section, as David talks about the nations, that we've been grafted into this. We've been brought into this. Now, ultimately. All these promises that David has written about find their fulfillment in Christ. And so I just want to encourage you, though, uh, as we've read through it, that these promises are for you as well. Because all these promises that were given to David are for you through Christ, as Christ is ultimately the promised one, and you've been grafted into the body of Christ. And so they're for you. These blessings, these protections, the victories, they're all for you. And so in the midst of of your trials, you can sing the promises of Psalm 18 as though they're for you because you are his and he is yours and he is the ultimate promise of Psalm 18. Four applications and then we're done. Don't place confidence in this world. When faced with troubles all around, don't look to here and now for comfort. We see that this world is nothing compared to the power and majesty of God. The greatest, tallest mountains melt like wax before him. So don't trust in chariots and horses. Uh, Don't trust in all the things around you. Don't trust in any promises of security or happiness. Look to the one who laid the foundations of this world. The one who sent his only son to die in your place. True, lasting joy, relief, peace, and hope can only be found in him. Secondly, believe in Christ, the truer David. Israel sang Psalm 18 as a remembrance that God would protect the line of David and thereby bring about the promised Redeemer. And so trust in Christ. He is our ultimate defender, strength, refuge, rock, sword, shield, and the horn of our salvation. So sing Psalm 18 to remind yourself of all that Christ has done. Third, wait. If you're struggling today, maybe even with something that has entangled you, Uh, For years, I encourage you uh, in the midst of that, in the midst of your waiting, um, that you are not alone. You're not alone. Waiting is hard. Enduring is hard. But God is supplying you with the grace that you need, and he is equipping you through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to endure and to stand. And so feed yourself with the gospel as you wait. Lastly, This is for for everyone. Encourage one another. Encourage your brothers and sisters in the waiting. Remind each other of the good news and continue to pray for one another. And so feed one another with the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we see. We thank you that these promises find their yes in Christ. And because we're in Christ... We know that these promises also apply to us. And so, Lord, we just we we ask that you would uh, grace us with these things. Bless us with deliverance. Let us trust in you despite all the storms around us. Lord, give us faith and stir our hearts to trust you more as we wait. Give us grace. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.